0: is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host
1: from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Thursday, not Sam Thursday. What a way to close out Thursday and celebrate that the last day of the week, the working week anyway, is upon us. The best way to close out Thursday, really, with a Thursday, not Sam Thursday. We've got a lot to celebrate. I know. You listen to some wrestling podcasts, there's a lot of gloom and doom. No, wrestling should be better. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? And we'll have critiques here today. We'll have suggestions here to make today. But wrestling's going through a boom period. I mean. WWE financially. In the shape that it's in. We have for the first time since WCW. A realistic. Secondary. Mainstream promotion. For the first time since. The realistic secondary mainstream promotion was announced. We actually have hope. In Ring of Honor. We've got. New Japan over here. Getting ready to run the states again in a real way. We've got. The NWA over here keeping everybody interested in studio wrestling. And we've got an environment where independent organizations like Game Changer Wrestling, like ICW, just name a few here in New York, can actually survive, make some money, and put on shows that people can watch on their phones live. It's an incredible time to be a wrestling fan. And that's the macro picture. The micro picture? It's Thursday. And there were two, two fabulous wrestling shows on last night. Two. If you watch them both, you got some DVR action. Four hours of fabulous wrestling going on last night. And I'm not even talking about Raw or SmackDown. That's the golden age that we live in right now. Wrestling is going through a boom period, and we should never forget that. We can complain. We can critique. We could say, but when we critique, let's say, what do we do better, right? I mean, it's incredible. And all this, all this without John Cena. John Cena, though, still trending. And what's nice about John Cena is that as he becomes a bigger and bigger star, he's still, whether you talk about it or not, look at this jacket I'm wearing. Once again, wardrobed by Chalkline, by the fine folks at Chalkline, okay? On my one breast, it says Austin 316. On my other breast, it says The Rock. When you start running down superstars of an era, Hulk Hogan in the 80s into the early 90s, you will never not associate WWE with Hulk Hogan. We move in to the late 90s, approaching the 2000s. You will never, never not associate Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, no matter how big The Rock gets, with WWE and as we get in to the last 10 years or or so you will never not associate WWE with John Cena I already see in the discord room people are watching WWE front row says wrestling fans are enjoying an embarrassment of riches I agree Sam it really is embarrassing you know how good it is to be a wrestling fan right now there is no need to defend it you know why Because there is so much wrestling to watch, I don't see how a fan could possibly have time in his day or her day to argue with a non-fan. And, and even better, we have access to so much content, no matter who you're trying to convince, you're not gonna make everybody a fan. But if somebody is looking at you as if pro wrestling has no merit, within 60 seconds, one minute, you could pick up your phone, And through various apps, find something to prove them wrong that would even make them say, oh, wow, you got something. I was just in an argument on the radio this week with the host of UFC Unfiltered, Matt Serra, UFC legend, wonderful guy. Kind of takes some shots at wrestling at the same time talking about how great the Mandalorian was. He said, what, so I can pretend to get hit? I said, no, it's it's much better to go home and pretend to watch Spacemen. Look, here's the point. I'm not here to disrespect the Mandalorian or anything in the Star Wars universe. But we can make equivalencies. That's all I'm saying. You don't res- disrespect this, I won't disrespect that. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful time is what I'm saying. But John Cena, the reason that I bring him up is because he was trending. He was all over Twitter. You know, I wake up at about 4.30 every morning. To go do morning radio. And uh, I get up. I take a shower. That's a nice visual for all of you. And, uh, and then I go downstairs. And while I'm drinking my green juice. To start the day. Because this body didn't create itself. While I'm drinking my green juice. I start looking through Twitter. Seeing what's trending. Because I don't want to jump on the radio airwaves. And sound like an ignoramus. I need to know what the folks are talking about. And it's really funny. Because every morning. About 5 a.m. I have to scan through all the K-pop trending tweets. I don't know how many of you guys are up that early, East Coast time. But I think it it just must have to do with the time difference or whatever it is. But every day, literally every day, between 4.30 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., probably 10 of the top 20 trends are K-pop and BTS-related trends. That's when all the BTS stands are up. BTS, one of the great k-pop groups there is right now and bts and k-pop just a, a global phenomenon well john cena and i know you're sitting there going sam are we going through your routine now no this is all coming back this is not sam wrestling okay it's all coming back to john cena he was on james Corden's show last night uh and he was on with january jones he's on the late show of course james corden does the uh Format where there's multiple celebrities, almost like a panel, and so it was it was John Cena and January Jones. January Jones, of course, uh, she was on Mad Men. She played Don Draper's wife. She's been in a bunch of movies since then. You know her if you see her. But she posted a picture with BTS, but came across sounding like a bit of a clout chaser, because she went on the show and she said, I don't even know who these guys are, except they had a whole bunch of bodyguards. So I want to get a photo with them. And seriously. Like, if you watch the video, when she goes, I didn't know who they were, but they had uh, nine bodyguards. So I took a picture with them because who knows, maybe they're the president or something. John Cena looked pissed. He looked pissed because, number one, he didn't get to meet BTS. And number two, because she didn't know who they were. And number three, because she objectified them in that way. Listen to how this uh, exchange went when James Corden opened the floor to John Cena and said, you're a BTS fan, right? Listen to this. But
0: John, you are a legitimate, and this isn't a you're a legitimate fan of BTS. You're so lucky. Yeah. You're
1: kidding. He's talking to January Jones when he says you are so lucky. Realistically, the way John Cena feels about BTS, I'm looking at James Corden who's talking to John Cena and I'm like, you are so lucky. To have John Cena with that movie star quaff in that three piece suit, talk. I mean, I would. If you could tell me, Sam, you're gonna need to leave your life behind, but you can hang out with John Cena every day. I'd probably just have to do it. He's a god amongst men.
0: No, you're so lucky to be in that picture. It's a. Uh... I tried out to be their bodyguard and was cut. I didn't even make it. <laughs> no, I, I really am a fan of BTS. You really are. What is it you love about? So, uh, I, I became interested in the fact that, like... See,
1: January Jones a hater. You hear it? Yeah, please. That's a hater. That's hater talk, okay? She's over here saying, like, oh, like, it's ridiculous that John Cena would like BTS. That's hater with a capital H-8.
0: They're a uh, Korean...
1: And John Cena, what a gentleman for putting up with it.
0: ...pop band, and they were the first Korean pop band to actually connect everybody throughout the world they have fans throughout the world so I'm being in live entertainment I was like wow that's interesting how did they do this and then I began to listen to their music and listen to the message they sent to their fans and it's one of uh, self-love and self-reflection and being confident in yourself even though you may be different so not only are is like the choreography and the development of personalities and the whole entertainment that they put on spectacular young people are listening to their music And they're sending a good message through their...
1: I mean, come on. How can you not just sit there and say John Cena is the greatest human being alive? He's incredible. He wows me all the time, the love affair I have with this man. I mean, here's my point, though. Number one, it's phenomenal to see John Cena trending all over Twitter. He is now uh, traversing through the wrestling fans into mainstream Hollywood, all the way to K-pop fans. And what's genius about John Cena is that John Cena did not see this K-pop trend and jump on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't happening in the last, like, six months that John Cena has decided he's a BTS fan because he sees that they're popular. Because, I mean, you know, I don't know how many of you guys, there's so much wrestling to watch, it's difficult to keep up with what's going on in pop culture. But BTS is not unknown in the United States of America. You get Funko Pops of them at Barnes & Noble, you know? I mean, they're huge even in America now. But before they were huge in America... John Cena was on Twitter and on his Instagram singing their praises because he knew, because he knew even if this band isn't, isn't huge in America, number one, they probably will be. And number two, they're huge in other parts of the world that have massive populations. And this, I believe, is a lesson that John Cena learned in the WWE. To me, this has WWE thinking all over it and John Cena, that's why he was so successful for so long. He just gets it. John Cena is not sitting there thinking about what's going on in his bubble. John Cena is not sitting there thinking about the people immediately in front of him. The same way I talk about uh, you know, playing not to your audience in the building, but to your audience behind the camera at home because that's the bigger audience. What's the bigger audience here? What's the bigger play? John Cena is thinking globally the same way WWE does. WWE held a massive event in the UK this week to announce that they were going from Sky Sports over to BT Sport. Uh, I mean, I'm not over there. Obviously, a lot of people saying this is a very good move for WWE, Uh, but I lived in England for four years and I grew up with WWE on Sky Sports. Um, now that they're on BT sport and it's got the whole WWE package, it's going over there, but they, they blew it out. They had a ring. They put matches. Sheamus had a match over there. They had lights and pyro, all the British media got to interview all these people, huge event. But in America, we didn't even know about it. You know why? You know why WWE goes to all that effort? Because they understand that the UK market is huge for them. I'm literally, I'm sitting there, right. And I'm talking to my, my, uh, uh, my trainer at the gym. And I got her to start watching wrestling in May. So she knows all everything that happened in WWE from May until now. She's a genius at anything before May. When CM Punk came back for WWE backstage, she goes, what's the big deal with that? Who is that man? What's it, a guy from Chicago? I was like, okay, we got a lot to do. But you know, you're here to teach me, not the other way around. So, point being, I don't know what my point was actually. Oh! She's telling me that she goes, oh, I thought it was like this small thing. But then, you know, I have a family friend and she was here from like Africa or something. And that's the one thing we had in common. She knew everything. She knew Jake the Snake Roberts and Dusty Rhodes and Hulk Hogan. She knew everything about wrestling. Because WWE speaks to a global audience. The same way, you know, when you look at Hollywood and when a movie comes out and they tell you what the release, you know, how much the movie made in a weekend. It's one thing to do well in America. But the number that people really look at is the global release you know that's why the 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 premiere in china for example is so important for so many movies because there's so many people over there and john cena understood that's why john cena decided to take upon himself to learn mandarin he speaks mandarin just because because he knows what that market is not just for wrestling but for entertainment he saw bts and he said this is a group that has a positive message, he wasn't, I don't think he was BSing on that show, but who speaks to a massive global audience. Maybe not an American audience yet, and I know I'm in America, but they speak to a global audience. John Cena's ability to think globally is what made him a success in WWE and what is going to make him a success outside of WWE because The Rock thinks the same way. The Rock thinks globally. And I don't think that that's instinct for very many people. I think that that's something that that being in the WWE a company that truly thinks globally. I mean, you know, look at the international pay-per-views they've done. They they are thinking about fan bases globally and how to expand that business. When United States TV ratings start to dip because technology is changing because less people are watching TV because habits change, whatever reason it is, they go, "Okay, well if our U.S. business is dipping like this, what if we can get over into this country or that country and 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 expand, expand, expand? And that's a lesson that, you know, I think that we can all take away to think on that level. Not all of us can do something globally, you know what I mean? But what is the truly bigger picture of whatever it is that you're doing? You know, stop. The, the, we don't always need to look at what's directly in front of our faces. Because that that road to real success might be just over the horizon. And that's how John Cena thinks. And I just think it's such a great thing. So that was my reflection on John Cena on uh, James Corden's show. I wanted to say a uh, rest in peace to Rocky Johnson. We we're talking about The Rock, of course. The father of The Rock. The son-in-law to the high chief, Peter Maivia. Rocky Johnson passed away this week. Um, Rocky Johnson, an absolute icon. I guess of 70s wrestling of Madison Square Garden era, WWF, The Soul Man. You know, nobody who grew up around that time. You talk to anybody who's probably 40, mid 40s and above, all of them, all of them remember Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson is one of those names. Like when you start naming, especially here on the East Coast, and the, the the you know, the wwF audience at the time, like when they were kids, like the Madison Square Garden cra- uh, crowd. When you start naming wrestlers from the 70s, I mean, it doesn't take long to get there. You start talking about guys like Bruno. You start talking about guys like, you know, Wahoo, McDaniel. But real quickly, you get to Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson radiated charisma. Rocky Johnson came out there looking like he was carved out of rock. And Granted, I mean, you could just go through Google image. And you look at pictures of this guy, the flexing and the, it looked amazing. You know, it's not a mystery when you, when you watch him in the ring where The Rock got all that charisma from. Because, I mean, immediately he connected with the audience. And this was at a time where people weren't so uh, accepting of cultural differences, shall we say. You know, no, not everybody was, was quite as educated as they are now. You know, not everybody saw things the way they should have been seeing them. Rocky Johnson, I think, for, for a lot, was able to get past that hurdle and speak to people on a human level just because of that that athleticism and charisma and just the, just the instant connection. You can see it. When you go on YouTube and you watch these Rocky Johnson matches, you can see the instant connection that this guy has with the audience. Of course, he and Tony Atlas were uh, uh, Mr. USA Tony Atlas the first uh, black tag team champions. And that was a huge deal at the time. And something that is, still gets talked about today. This guy's a Hall of Famer. Um, I believe The Rock put him in. Um, and if you want, you know, if, you, if you're if you a little younger than that, you can even go back to WrestleMania 13. WrestleMania 13, I believe it was in Chicago, Illinois. WrestleMania 13, feel the heat. It was Rocky Maivia versus The Sultan. And Rocky Johnson had a cameo in that match. Rocky Johnson did a run-in at the end of the thing. So um, huge respect, props, everything to the late, great Rocky Johnson. I mean, you know, it's no mystery the impact that this guy had on the world of professional wrestling when the minute news of his passing went out there, everywhere, everywhere. Everybody had memories, and yes— Of course, you're going to talk about the fact that he was the father of one of the biggest wrestlers of all time and the most famous person to ever come out of wrestling. You're going to mention the fact that he's The Rock's father. But I was so pleasantly surprised to see that really all of the sort of uh, uh, memorial tweets and Facebook posts and, you know, podcast blurbs and whatnots that went out about Rocky Johnson were all memories of this guy Rocky Johnson and I mean it tells you everything when when Rocky Maivia showed up and he said I'm the I'm the son of Rocky Johnson maybe some of the kids didn't know who that was but for the most part the reason he did that was because of the clout that that name carried to the WWE audience people instantly knew especially in New York so rest in peace to Rocky Johnson of course to the entire uh Dwayne Johnson, extended Johnson. Okay, I don't want to mean to say extended Johnson. But to the entire Johnson family, and uh, and I guess the noy too, is they're married in. Thinking about you guys, and uh, yeah, rest in peace to Rocky Johnson. Uh, There was, you know, Corey Graves made headlines uh, through his tweets this week. He's watching Raw, and he said, fire me, I'm already fired. You know, the Ric Flair quote. Corey Graves is drumming up some press for that podcast of his. I listened to it, of course, after the bell this week, the official WWE podcast after the bell. And Corey was on there criticizing Raw. And, you know, I mean, it's like it's kind of what we do, right? Monday night into Tuesday is the time to criticize Raw. And uh, I mean, a lot of times it's fair, right? Raw is having some growing pains in my opinion right now. But I thought it was odd that this week's RAW was the hill to die on. You know, I thought that, that that it was odd that this week's RAW was the was the real you know egregious episode. When to me, you know, compared to recent episodes, I thought this week's episode was decent. This week's episode wasn't the worst I've seen recently. You know, I, I, I didn't really have a problem. I, you know, I think it's interesting because I had a problem with like the premise of the first ever fist fight. I thought it was cheesy, the way they were advertising the first ever fist fight. I, you know, I, I thought it, it was, um, they they might've been misreading the audience to think that any of us would care about a fist fight when we watched, I mean, it's wrestling is fights. Like, why do we care about a fist fight What's the difference between a fist fight and a last man standing match? I guess in a the only difference between a fist fight and a last man standing match is that in a fist fight the referee decides when it's over and doesn't actually count. So it's basically a last man standing match except no uh counting. You know, I I I I, I it could have been worded a lot differently. But I thought the match itself was cool. I thought and I thought it had great outcomes from it. Look, I said this about Keith Lee and Adam Cole on NXT. When you can get a meme, it is 2020, okay? When you can get a meme out of a segment that lasts through Tuesday and beyond, successful segment. In 2020, entertainment is a three-second loop. You need to meme it. Just meme it. And the fact that you had Kevin Owens thinking he was in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, running up the screen ramp and then flipping off of it onto his opponents. That's all you needed for the segment to be a success. Meme. You got a meme out of it. I could text that to my friend who doesn't watch wrestling and he could be like, what the hell is that? And then they add a little, you know, skateboard to it and you could add little things to it and you could really just, I mean, just make it as dank as humanly possible. Just the dankest memes. But when you can, when you can meme out a segment to at least some degree, it's a success. I thought Buddy Murphy uh joining up with Seth Rollins and kind of, you know, waiting there in disillusionment, sitting at ringside, I thought that was good. I'm glad that he's joining Seth Rollins because I love the fact that there is a faction. I've been saying for I'd, like years at this point that factions are a good thing. They're sorely missed and WWE needs them. You know, I think when you got a guy like Seth Rollins, does he need to be in a faction? No, but a Seth Rollins led faction is gonna be better news for the authors of Pain and it's gonna be so much better news for Buddy Murphy. Like I'm not gonna sit there and turn on Raw every week and just watch him lose to Alistair Black no matter how good the match is. Eventually something's got to give and something did give this week. We got a wrap up. We got a reason. You know, it's easy to watch Raw and go like, no matter how good Buddy Murphy and Alistair Black is, why are we watching the same match every week? Okay, the answer is because Buddy Murphy has to lose to Aleister Black a few times before he's so broken that he joins with Seth Rollins and, and we're there. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm happy with it. So I was happy with the ending. Um, I think the, the Drew McIntyre uh, babyface good guy turn that's happening right in front of our eyes is uh, subtle and effective. People are cheering Drew McIntyre. That's good. One of the criticisms Corey Graves had, though, that was big, was on uh, the Bobby Lashley-Rusev match, and he's right. He's right when he criticizes that. He says that uh, he's watching it, and everybody's sitting on their hands. Nobody's reacting to what's going on, and that is true. When you do a segment and nobody's reacting to what's going on, you're in a lot of trouble. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that the reason that nobody's reacting to it is because the wedding was a failure because by that same logic, if you watch the wedding, the crowd was lit the whole time. You know, for the people who are like, we don't want Jerry Springer TV. Well, the crowd was chanting Jerry. They were booing Lana. They were cheering uh, 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 Liv. They're booing Lashley. They were cheering Rusev. The wedding segment itself was effective by all definitions that this match was ineffective. For the life of me, I don't know why Liv Morgan, who's got all this hype behind her, would come out and get beaten up by Lana, who has absolutely no history of being a a, a, a force in the ring. You know, Lana has no history in the WWE that would lead anybody to being like, oh, you don't want to get mess with her in the ring. Right? So, you know, I don't know why she would be able to manhandle Liv Morgan, and then we as fans are expected to think next week, "Uh uh-oh, Lana's in trouble, because I watch that and I go, oh, okay. Rusev picked poorly, because Lana's not in trouble, because she could just kick Liv Morgan's ass. That's the message that I got from that segment. So I think that that was uh, dumb. But I think that the reason that people were sitting on their hands was because it's been two weeks since the wedding, and... There's no reason for the match. Like, they just announced this week, hey, by the way, later after the break, we're going to do Rusev versus Lashley. And you're sitting there going, we really have like 10 weeks of storyline just so one night we could turn on Raw and go like, oh, this match is happening. You know, I I, I think that the problem is actually that you haven't kept going with the storyline. Like, you have to make a choice to me. Either you go with the storyline or you don't go with the storyline. And I don't think you can take the storyline so far and then just drop it and do the match. And you're like, okay. And then next week we're doing the mixed tag match. Like, you know, I I, I don't know. It feels like, like the timing of this thing was not thought out. I think that, that based on what happened at the wedding and the things that have happened leading to the wedding, you could convince people to care. You could convince people to care about that match, but you can't just have the match. I know that people want to believe that all you need to do is have good matches on TV, but it's that's wrong. It's not true. People don't watch that. Nobody cares. Wrestling, that's not why people watch wrestling. the The reason people watch wrestling is because of the stories that are told. Even when you watch like a New Japan show, the best matches are the ones where you can you can see a story that's unfolding in the ring in front of your eyes. Even if you don't quite understand, like if there's a language barrier in the promos or it's just a wrestling-heavy show, that doesn't mean there's not stories being told. And I don't think that Rusev or Bobby Lashley 100% know what story they're telling when all of a sudden there's just a match between the two of them. You know what I'm saying? I think that that Raw needs to double down on storytelling. The reason the Lana and Bobby Lashley wedding had everybody talking was because of this story behind it, you know? The reason that people enjoy the Seth Rollins thing so much. It, It doesn't matter about the fist fight. You got a meme out of the fist fight, that's good. But the story of Buddy Murphy joining the Monday Night Messiah and the fact that there is now this stable. And by the way, I don't, there are people that are now comparing. Like, I saw online people are saying, like, oh, maybe the uh, Monday Night Messiah stable is. We were talking about this in the Discord room, uh, I think. I think WWE Front Row and maybe SVOHO or 102 Gimmick Street or some of the guys that are in the Discord room. By the way, if you want access to the Not Sam Wrestling Discord room where we're talking about this stuff all the time, just sign up on Patreon. Less than a dollar a week, slash Not Sam Wrestling. You get access to the Discord room in any tier. So, um, but, you know, we were just kind of talking about the fact that there are some that are that, that are saying, number one, that the Monday Night Messiah faction is an answer to the Dark Order in AEW. And number two, that the, Rob, the Robert Stone brand on NXT is like a Tony Khan rib or something like that. Which both of those are dumb. WWE is not... Vince McMahon is not aware... Of the storylines happening in AEW. I would be willing to place money on that. He doesn't know who the... Vince McMahon doesn't know who the Dark Order is. I would be willing to put money on that. You listen to any interview. You talk to anybody that's ever worked with that man. And nobody has ever said that he watches the competition. In fact, they've all said the opposite. He only watches his own stuff. And he's the one signing the thing on everything. So, you know, I... I, and I think that Seth Rollins' faction, if you're going to compare it to any faction, it's more like the straight-edge society, I guess, than anything else. But, it, like, it's it's like the Nexus. It's very similar to the Nexus. The idea of Seth Rollins' faction is, and it's really told, been told very well, and it's not a ripoff of anything. Seth Rollins came out on Raw. He was the locker room leader, and he was getting booed. And he said, hey, I'm still the locker room leader. Who's with me? And everybody walked out on him, except the authors of pain. So Seth Rollins is trying to still be that locker room leader that he was before. But these are the only people that are at his side. That's what the Monday Night Messiah is. And I think that that story has been told very well. But again, if you just had, you know, hey, it's time for Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. You'd be like, what? Tonight? Oh, all right, okay. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have that excitement, that anticipation, the elements of raw with with stories and, and I, but I think you have to go even harder, you know I think that the Becky Lynch Oscar story, for example, I think that a a a wonderful, amazing, even better than we've seen video package needs to be told the the root of the story of Becky Lynch and Oscar. I feel like hasn't been driven home. I feel like that match has everything. You tell this story of Becky Lynch, who's this competitor on the rise, and she showed up to the Royal Rumble to try to win the SmackDown Women's Championship. And she lost. She lost to Asuka. She did not beat Asuka. She tapped out at the Royal Rumble. Later on that night, she's not even entered in the match and she decides to come back, enter the match, Fit Finley gave her the okay, and she wins. Winning that match took her to WrestleMania where she was able to pin Ronda Rousey to not only take the Raw Women's Championship, but Charlotte's SmackDown Women's Championship that she had won from Asuka. Asuka was ignored After the Royal Rumble, Asuka was given no credit to the fact that she made the winner of the Royal Rumble tap after Becky Lynch won both titles. When Becky two belts arose, Asuka was given no credit for the fact that she made Becky Lynch tap. In the months and weeks since, every time Becky Lynch has been in a ring with Asuka, she hasn't beaten her. And Asuka has beaten Becky. Multiple tag matches. Becky has never beaten Asuka. Asuka has beaten Becky on other occasions. So now, one year later, we get to the Royal Rumble 2020. And Becky Lynch, arguably the biggest star in WWE. Her and Roman Reigns are the two biggest stars. I don't even think that's arguable. But Becky Lynch, Maybe the biggest female star in history, somebody who's beaten everybody, somebody who's had that Raw Women's Championship since WrestleMania, now goes one on one with the woman that for the last year has been the only woman that she's never been able to beat. And that's Asuka. Meanwhile, Asuka has transformed herself to the point where she's not looking for approval anymore. Asuka was ignored. And she's put herself in a position, along with Kaidi Sane, her fellow Kabuki warrior, where she can't be ignored anymore. She's put herself in a position where you can try to ignore her if you want, but I won't be ignored. She's got the green mist. She's a bad guy. She's feared again. Asuka and Kaidi Sane have added value to those women's tag team championship that wasn't there. They're the only team that's done that. And now we get to the Royal Rumble. And a year in the making, we finally have the championship rematch between Asuka and Becky Lynch. But the title is on the other waist. You mean to tell me that anybody I told that story to is not going to get interested in this match? If you told that story to anyone, I don't care if they haven't watched wrestling in 10 years, they're coming to your house for a Royal Rumble party and you explain to them the way I just explained to you what's going on in this match, they're all in. They're here for it. Oh my God, I can't wait to see this thing because they all know who Becky Lynch is but they might not know this story and they might not know who Asuka is. And the fact that they all know who Becky Lynch is and they don't know who Asuka is is the entire story in a nutshell. That story needs to be driven home. I want to see the chip on Asuka's shoulder. I want to see the venom in her heart for the fact that she did not get what she had due to her. I want to see the fear in Becky Lynch's eyes because she knows that is the one person she hasn't beaten, and can't, and has beaten her. That match has the potential to be the greatest story told at the Rumble this year. But you've got one episode of Monday Night Raw left to make it count. Look, WrestleMania 27, my least favorite WrestleMania of all time. Headline match, was John Cena versus The Miz. But you know what the one thing about that match was? I mean, The Miz's WWE championship reign was not something to shine a spotlight on. He won the title. He defended it against Jerry the King Lawler in a pay-per-view main event, and then he went to WrestleMania. I mean, come on. Then that year's WrestleMania ends with The Rock laying both John Cena and The Miz out. All's well that ends well. It led us where we're going. But in the meantime, that moment, not great. I did not leave that WrestleMania going, oh, that was so awesome. I was like, what? I guess I'm going to bed. But, but the one thing that put faith in me, and I ended up, maybe I shouldn't have had faith, but the one thing that caused me to have faith in that match was the video package that played before the match for The Miz. The video package that told the story of The Miz. Set to P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, Bad Boy Family. You can hate me now. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. If you haven't seen that video package or you haven't seen it in some time, go back and watch it. You should watch it every six months just because. It's my favorite video package WWE has ever produced. And that tells you how good it is. The fact that my favorite video package the WWE has ever produced was the intro to the main event to my least favorite WrestleMania of all time. That's how good this package is. And it goes through The Miz's story and it goes through him on the real world. It goes through him showing up in WWE being a cheeseball Ryan Seacrest faux hawk host. You know, now they try to tell this story of you know, Miz and Morrison together as if it was this great thing, but it wasn't at first. Wrestling in his dumb shorts with glitter on him, with his fedora, and going through the phases and getting to the place where he was at Walking into WrestleMania 27, where all of a sudden you went, oh, my God, the Miz has arrived. Oh, my God, the person who's not supposed to be here is here. Oh, my God, they said it couldn't be done, and he's done it. He may just beat John Cena tonight. Now, it ended up being a disappointment, but the point is the video package. And maybe that's what you utilize to tell this story between Asuka and and Becky Lynch. But something, because you've got a story there. And I think that that's an emphasis that all wrestling shows need to have, you know? I think uh, AEW got terrific news this week. AEW got their contract extended on TNT for three more years. They're on TNT until 2023, which, I mean, when I tell you, and I can only speak to my own experience, hosting a radio show, I host my show with Jim Norton on SiriusXM. We signed on three and a half years ago. And when we signed to do a morning show, we signed a two-year contract. And those two years were basically spent building the show and going like, let's see what this is. Let's see if we've got something here. And, you know, you can criticize AEW now, but I think that the shows that Jim and I were doing at the beginning were terrible. I would never, and maybe, you know, I don't, I would never go back and go like, Oh, you should listen to like the first two years of Jim and Sam. I didn't like them, but I also know that we were growing the first year was worse than the second year because every day I know I was improving. Jim just improves constantly, but we were learning. I was learning. After the two years were up, we signed a three-year deal with Sirius XM, a three-year extension. And that's when I realized that, you know, the company had confidence in us as a show and that we had three years of runway to really develop. And that's when I think the show really started to get popping and good because in my mind I was like okay we've got room to grow here there's not so much pressure to do something right now we've got a guarantee we've got we've got we've got a field here and i think that that is how i would hope that AEW really utilizes this 3 year contract is to start telling some stories that you can really tell over time you know they got talent they just signed Taz as a commentator they're going to have a second show which hopefully i mean i know i'm not alone 605 p.m. on saturday night is your time slot boom but we'll see if they can get it done i'm sure cody wants that to happen but that's what i think AEW needs to do you know i'm watching NXT this week and it goes back to the storytelling because both tag matches incredible incredible tag matches in that tag team tournament NXT has the is the NXT is still my favorite show of the week, every single week. I love the product that NXT is putting out. And that's not, I mean, I'm not shilling because I'm on WWE TV too. I love the product that NXT is, is putting out. The two Dusty Classic tag matches were great. Alex Shelley being back, I think is good. I hope he sticks around, both for his sake and for Kushida's sake. Um, who knew how much we would enjoy the... uh the bro, uh Broserweight, Broserweights, Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle as a team. You know, both the the triple threat cruiserweight match was great. I'm so glad Swerve won. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can pull out at World's Collide. And the main event battle royal, I mean, it was awesome. It it was a great showcase of how deep and skilled the women's division is. And to be able to pull that off in a battle royal, main eventing with a battle royal is a risky move. Battle royals are not, generally speaking, great matches. They're kind of throwaways more often than not. So the fact that you were able to have a main event, NXT, by the way, main event caliber battle royal, I think is is a good thing. You know, I was surprised when Bianca Belair won. I, I, I thought Io Shirai was going to win when it got down to two. Having Shayna Baszler as a surprise, giving Shotzi the 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 rub to be the one to eliminate Shayna Baszler. The whole thing was beautiful. Mercedes Martinez getting in there. Good showcase. You know, even uh having Robert Stone take Chelsea Green out of the match and saying, like, you know, we're gonna leave because, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna wait until our talents can really be utilized. Awesome. Awesome. It's building anticipation for Chelsea Green and it's developing the character of Robert Stone. It's great. Terrific. I think that, and as I was watching, I think that it would serve NXT well for every month that there's not a takeover to maybe do some kind of clash of the champions like Super Show in an arena or something like that. Just to, I think if they could get out a full sale like once a quarter even, I think it would be big. If you could get some of that live takeover energy on the NXT TV show, even once a quarter, I think it would be a good thing. But I think what NXT really needs is the same thing that Raw needs. It's the same thing that SmackDown needs. It's the same thing that every wrestling show needs. NXT needs stories. I'm excited to see DIY team up again. I love that DIY is getting back together. But... I haven't been taken on that journey that brought them back together. I don't feel like. I've kind of watched it happen and it's felt like it was inevitable. But I don't know if I've been on a journey that's brought them there. I want to go on a journey with some of these wrestlers. Damn it. I don't want to drive alone. I want to sit there in the passenger seat and I want the wrestlers to show me all the countryside that they can show me. I want to go on a journey with the superstars of NXT. I want a blood feud between... Leo Rush and Swerve Scott, you know? I know it's tough because they got to concentrate on Worlds Collide, but I want to really see Gargano and Finn Balor get personal with each other. I want to see the Undisputed Era ruin Tommaso Ciampa's life. I want to see Tommaso Ciampa look vulnerable. If he's going to be a good guy now, Because NXT is capable of incredible storytelling. The rivalry between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa needs to go down in the history of great rivalries in wrestling. That year-long storyline that was told between the two of them. And technically, it was a lot longer than a year because it really started when Ciampa got injured and turned on Johnny the first time when DIY broke up. That's the type of story that I want to see unfold. If you had that Champa Gargano story going on while NXT was on USA, whoo, whoo, you would have been off to the races. That's what I think NXT needs. NXT needs not, I mean, they need to have great matches and they will have great matches. That's a given. But I there's no story on NXT that I'm tuning in next week to see. When I tune into NXT, If there's a specific reason I'm tuning in, it's because a match has been announced. It's not because, oh, I want to see what the next chapter is in this. Really the same goes for Raw because that's why uh, with the Rusev Lana stuff, like the segment, the wedding segment was good, but we're not being told a story where we want to see what the next chapter is. Cliffhangers. Cliffhangers. Stories that are told over chapters. NXT needs it the most. If you had storylines that you were sinking your teeth into on NXT on a regular basis, that show would be unstoppable. NXT has the best male or female roster in the business of professional wrestling. NXT puts on the best pay-per-views in their takeovers in anywhere in wrestling. NXT takeovers are the best wrestling shows on the planet. Now, if you could combine those things and they have the best matches, they have the best wrestling matches on television. So imagine if you could combine those positives with having the most compelling stories. NXT would be unstoppable, in my opinion. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. You're not People don't watch wrestling for the same reason why they watch football or baseball or basketball. They watch it for the stories. I mean, UFC is not even that different. MMA is not sports entertainment. MMA is just sports. But there's a fight this weekend between Conor McGregor and Cowboy Cerrone. It's a Conor McGregor fight, and it has the least hype of any Conor McGregor fight that I've ever seen in my life. You know why? Why? Because Conor McGregor is subdued. He's not telling a story. He's not talking trash. He's going in. He's going to have a good fight. And MMA purists and MMA fans are going to love it. And I'll order the fight because I love Conor McGregor fights. But a lot of the mainstream isn't talking about it because there's not a story to tell. It's not about like, oh, we don't need lewd stories. We don't need trashy TV. It doesn't matter if the TV is trashy or not. All that matters is if the story is good. And you could say like, oh, you know, the Attitude Era, Mae Young gave birth to a hand. Yeah, but guess what? Triple H driving an unconscious Stephanie McMahon to a drive through wedding chapel in Las Vegas and marrying her on the eve of her wedding night is just as ridiculous and just as trashy and just as stupid as any of the bad wrestling storylines that you're going to bring up. But you know what the difference is? They did it well. It was a well-told story. That's all these things need to be. They can be trashy. They can be lewd. They can be PG. They can be subdued. They just have to be well-told and thought out and thought out over the course of weeks. If you can figure out a way to present stories that are well thought out and told over the course of weeks, you will be unstoppable. You will be undeniable. You know? I mean, look at these movies that are nominated for Oscars. The movie Parasite. It's not even in English. You got to read subtitles. And people hate reading. But the story is so great. And there's so many twists and turns. And it doesn't go where you think it's going. That's what makes it special. Once upon a time in Hollywood. You don't even know what you're watching. But you know it's something. You know it's leading somewhere. And it goes effing crazy by the end. But you just leave going, what a story. That's wrestling. Stories. Now, before we get to the emails, let's talk about the Royal Rumble a little bit. Um, Cain Velasquez on that uh, UK media thing that I was talking about, the BT Sports deal, uh, Cain Velasquez went to uh, England there and he told people that he was also going to be in the Royal Rumble. Weird that he would just tell the Sun that he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. The Sun, the newspaper, not the uh, big bright thing that lights up the sky. He told the son that he was going to be in the Royal Rumble, which I guess is official. You know, I would have thought that maybe they would have had Brock Lesnar come out on Raw. Brag about that. He's going to be in the Royal Rumble. I took out our truth last week. Who's going to come out this week? Kane Velasquez comes out, surprises everybody, announces he's in the Rumble. That would have made a little more sense to me, but que sera, sera. So I guess he's in the Rumble which is a little scary because it makes you think you may end up seeing a Cain Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania, which goes back to my original point. On paper, I don't want to see Cain Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar. I don't want to see that match at WrestleMania. However, you could convince me otherwise. I know that if you told me a good enough story, you could convince me I wanted to see that match. You would just have to tell me the right story and you could convince me. But as of right now, I don't want to see that match at WrestleMania. You know, I don't, that's not where I want to see the Royal Rumble go, but who knows? Maybe that's where it'll go. It's interesting that no NXT names have been announced for the Rumble. And it's even more interesting to me that the assumption was that because this is a co-branded show, obviously, like all pay-per-views are, uh, people assumed that this would be like Survivor Series. You know, most pay-per-views are Raw and SmackDown pay-per-views, Survivor Series, NXT was included. People assumed that the Royal Rumble because of the Royal Rumble match. NXT would be included as well. However, all the hype has been around worlds collide and take over Portland. Nothing about the Royal Rumble. That said, it hasn't officially been said how many superstars from each brand will be in the match, which I think is smart and I think maintains the integrity and what the Royal Rumble is. Because the what the Royal Rumble is now, part of it is the surprises, the mystery entrance. And you know, I think when you sit there and you announce there are 27 entrants in the Rumble and there's three mystery entrants. Okay, like the beauty of the Royal Rumble is that sometimes they, they never specifically say how many names they've announced and they never specifically say how many entrants are mystery entrants. You know what I mean? Like they'll announce 24 names, but they won't say, and I wonder who the other six are. They'll just say, here's who's in the match. And it's up to you to count them out and figure out, oh, they haven't announced everybody. I, I've i always liked that. Because it also just makes you feel like you're not, you know, sitting there with a checklist. Who's coming out next? Who's coming out next? You're just like, anybody could come out. This is the Royal Rumble. Um, So I believe NXT will still be represented in the Royal Rumble match. They're going to Houston anyway, obviously, for uh, Worlds Collide. So, and I'm sure that they'll be in the women's Royal Rumble match because there's not that many women on Raw and SmackDown. Um... So I would imagine, though, it'll just be what it was last year, I guess, surprise entrance as they go, unless something changes between now and then. Let's uh, check out those emails. Remember, the email address is notsamwrestling at gmail.com, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. I know I heard from some of you guys. Here's uh, James... James says, I'm a big fan of women's wrestling and I'm nothing but happy with the progress WWE has made with their women's evolution, even if it should have happened much sooner. In fact, two of my favorite overall wrestlers, regardless of gender, are Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks. Yes. Recently, uh, good choices. Recently, Tessa Blanchard won the TNA World Championship. I'm not sure this sends the right message for two reasons. Firstly, where it pertains to glorifying male and female violence by having these uh, constant intergender matches where do you draw the line on which moves uh, men can and can't do to a woman without him looking bad or going too far. And secondly, with Tessa specifically how small she is, do you feel like it affects the credibility of the men that lose against her? Tessa is not an imposing figure like Charlotte Flair, China, Nia Jax, Carmen Nicole Bass or even Beth Phoenix. She looks more like a traditional women's competitor. So would Brock Lesnar looking look bad for losing against Tessa? If so, the same must be said for many other men. How do you feel regarding a female women's champion? I don't mind it. I know I think Booker T was on his podcast saying it was ridiculous and dumb. Um I and that's a paraphrase. I think that uh number I think it's good that it differentiates TNA. All of a sudden TNA has something that makes them different. That a woman has won their championship. All things being equal, I think that that's fair. Look, you know, I I think that there's no doubt that no matter how hard you push the women's division, the world championship is still going to be the world championship. So the fact that you open that up to women and not all women, but some special, you know, giant stars like a Tessa Blanchard. I don't think that's a bad thing, especially in in impact where it differentiates impact wrestling for what it is. Um, You know, I don't, I don't think that you have to pull the plug on certain moves because they look bad or because it sends the wrong message. I think that, you just can't let it be one-sided. I think that, you know, if if you want to talk about like domestic violence and and male-on-female violence, I think as long as the matches are not grotesquely one-sided, you'll be okay. I think other than that, all moves are fine. And I think with the size differential, you know, I I mean, I think Tess is bigger than Marco Stunt. You know, I I, I think uh, putting Rey Mysterio in a ring with Brock Lesnar... Is something that happened, you know what I mean, and 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 we sat there going, I hope Rey Mysterio wins, and Rey Mysterio is much smaller than Brock Lesnar, so you know I I I think it's all about the level of skill that the female has and the way, what she can do. It's how you use your your tools. You know, there's not just one way of wrestling. So if you can come up with an offense that could credibly beat somebody the size of Brock Lesnar then I'm all for it. But if you don't have that tool, that skill set, if you don't have those tools in your toolbox, then you're probably not the person for the job. Uh, let's go to Mark. Um, so I have to say this with no sarcasm. Oh, wait, I'm not sure if this is. Uh, well, whatever. My 10 year old son and I were driving up to New Hampshire, to listening to your podcast, um, as we always do in the car. And he got to my question. Of course, uh last week Mark asked about WrestleMania being over uh oh yeah, he he did like the 10 step the 10 step plan for Keith Lee to win the championship and then throw down the WWE championship and held up the NXT championship. Um he got to my question and begrudgingly list my 1 through 10 steps, then you finally got to the end to simply say uh, no, we had to pull over cuz we were laughing so hard. Um I appreciate it. Sam sounds like uh, he's getting into it by the time I'm eight or nine, blah, blah, blah. Um, then you get to number 10 with two words. Instantly crush my dreams. It was done beautifully, and I applaud you. Have a good weekend. Looking forward to this week's podcast. P.S. Seriously, Sam, how much blood money do I have to donate to get a chip, chip or sink, captive audience show? We'll get one done, Mark. We'll get one done. And uh, uh, Thank you. I love hearing from you. Jeremy says, uh, Sam, big fan of the show. Just wanted to say I agree with your comment a couple months ago about performers using you see in their promos. No one talks like that in real life, and I cringe every time you hear it. Keep up the good work. Dude, you are not going to be able to not hear you see anymore. Any promo that start, wrestlers should wear electric dog collars and get shocked every time they say, you see, in a promo. You see is the worst two words you could ever say in a promo. Anybody that's a young wrestler right now, independent wrestlers out there, erase you see from your promos. Erase it from your mind. Never say it. It sounds like you're acting like a wrestler. Carson writes in, Sam, I need some uh, advice on what to watch on the network. Can I get your top 10 pay-per-views to watch on the WWE network? K-Sun. All right, K-Sun. I don't think I can give you 10 off the top of my head because it is on top of my head unfortunately maybe that's my own fault but um I like to stick to the uh 90s because that's when I grew up um I uh, I love uh let's see SummerSlam 91 and SummerSlam 92 are both incredible uh I think WrestleMania WrestleMania 17 is a good watch um WrestleMania 30 is an excellent watch. Uh I would uh add on to that list. Uh let's see. WrestleMania f- 5 probably or maybe I'm just thinking about the main event is is a, is a good pay-per-view. Uh I enjoy Survivor Series 1991 because you get to see the state of flux that WWE was in at the time. Uh I think Starcade 93 is the one that has Ric Flair versus Vader. I always liked that one. Um, Uncensored 95 is an, is terrible. It's insanely bad, but it's just a nuts pay-per-view, and you might have fun watching that if you're like me and sometimes watch things just because you don't like them. Uh, let's see. What do I like? Um. I'm trying to think. Getting into the Attitude Era a little bit. I would say... Uh, SummerSlam '97 is pretty good. SummerSlam '97 in the Meadowlands, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. That's a pretty good one. So there are some. That's where you could start. Those are some great pay-per-views. They're all available on the WWE Network. Of course, this podcast is available uh, everywhere that you get podcasts from. If you could do me the biggest favor in the world, uh, leave a five-star review on iTunes and uh, or a five-star rating and give us a good review. And speaking of content networks. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/NotSamWrestling. Subscribe, enjoy. Thanks for joining us here on Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. I've got an, a terrific. You're gonna love. It's a long interview on Monday. Great story. You're going to love it. Tune in on Monday. See you then. Goodbye.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been NotSam Wrestling.